the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. All right, welcome back, listeners. Today I have Chuck Dow. Chuck is a PA who works in orthopedics and urgent care. He has a good case he wanted to talk about. Chuck, welcome to the Ortho PAC. Uh, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Um, but yeah, I thought this was an interesting case. You know, in the urgent care, we see a lot of acute injuries. I had this 19-year-old gentleman who came in. He complaining of three days of shoulder pain. Um, he said he was involved in an altercation where he had picked somebody up and kind of thrown him down to the ground. And when he landed, he landed with the front part or anterior part of his shoulder directly on the ground and immediately had pain in his shoulder, couldn't move his shoulder at all, and described it as an 8 out of 10 pain. So he went to the emergency room or local children's hospital. He was evaluated. Um, X-rays at that time, which were, you know, two views of the shoulder, were read as negative. He was put in a sling and discharged um, and came and saw me three days later. You know, happened over the weekend and we weren't open over the weekend. And he said the shoulder pain wasn't getting any better. So, you know, I got X-rays when he came into the clinic. I went in and examined him and, you know, examination, he was holding his arm in a fully internally rotated position at his belly. He had some fullness in the posterior shoulder, um, couldn't externally rotate more than 10 degrees from his, his belly at all and had absolutely no, you know, forward flexion or abduction of his shoulder. So I immediately was concerned based upon the mechanism of his injury that he described to me in his exam that he could have possibly dislocated his shoulder. So I got some x-rays. Our standard x-rays in our clinic are three views, um, but we did get an axillary view for him specifically. The x-ray showed kind of those consistent findings we see with these posterior shoulder dislocations, including that positive light bulb sign, which we can talk more about, the widening of the glenohumeral space, and that vacant glenoid sign that we often see. So I immediately diagnosed him with a posterior shoulder dislocation. My differential was, you know, based upon the mechanism, maybe a shoulder subluxation because kind of that fall on that, you know, adducted shoulder could sometimes cause that because it was limited motion, possibly anterior dislocation, and always a concern about labral tears with any type of fall like this. My thought process, though, was because his shoulder had been out for more than 72 hours at this point, and he's kind of a big muscular football player guy, I probably wasn't going to get this, you know, back into place in clinic um, under just um, local anesthesia or kind of a, a block into his shoulder. So I sent him to my emergency room, which at my facility is actually right across the parking lot. And I followed him along on his charts just to make sure they did, you know, they, they checked him out and were able to get his shoulder back into place. And after about an hour looking at his chart, I realized that they had discharged him. Uh, the radiologist had read the three views of the x-rays and the ED there as negative, and they kept him in his sling and discharged him. So I politely called the ED staff there and kind of talked to him about my findings and my concerns. And I discussed that I had reviewed it with one of my sports medicine docs. And they agreed with my findings and was able to convince them to call the patient back in and they put him under sedation and reduced his shoulder back into place. Then we followed the normal protocol afterwards where we got an MRI of his shoulder, showed that posterior labral tear and that reverse hill sacs proceed, or, you know, uh, defect. And one of our sports docs was able to arthroscopically fix his shoulder and now he's in therapy and doing quite well. But I thought this represented kind of one of those commonly missed diagnosis that we often see and 
wanted to discuss it more with you and, and your listeners. Yeah, great case. I've seen, I think when we emailed, I said I've seen three of these. I think that's about right. One of them I was able to reduce and the other two, same history, went to the ED, was missed and came in and uh, was seen and wound up going back to get something done. I think it's not a common injury, but it's commonly missed, if I'm not mistaken. And we'll talk about that some, but x-rays. You talked about uh, a light bulb view. I was hoping you might Shed some light on that. <laughs> See how I set myself up for that one? Yeah, well done. Well done. Yeah, Mike shed some light on that. And then <laughs> I got to throw you a little curveball here. You probably know this, but I looked it up. The uh, LeBeau view, is that right? Am I correct? It's like a, it, it, it's kind of like a trauma axillary lateral. But yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't aware of it. I, we do. So first of all, our standard x-rays are an AP grass shape, just, mm -hmm. you know, that we do uh, an uh, axillary lateral and then we do a wide view. Um, yeah. What, what's your routine in your clinic? Yeah, that's our standard. Our standard in the orthopedic clinic, and I think most orthopedic clinics is that four views of the shoulder, just as you mentioned. Um, I think the standard in the emergency room would be a three view. Typically, as you said, they get an AP some sort of a wide slash lateral view. They don't usually get the axillary or the grassy views often. So it's usually a two or three view kind of depending on the patient. And I think, you know, the emergency rooms aren't as, um, I wouldn't say aggressive, but aren't as willing to move the patient into positions to allow those x-ray images, such as the wide view or the grassy view, where they have to kind of rotate the arm a little bit. And so they just kind of get the views that they're able to do. And that's that, you know, view you were talking about, that kind of axillary slash Y view or lateral view. They try to get them into a position of abduction, but a lot of the times because of the pain the patient's in, they can't get them into that fully abducted position. Got to. Let's talk about the light bulb sign. Can you please describe what that is? And there was a vacant glenoid sign. What images would they see these findings on to make sure they get them? And what are they? Good question. So, you know, once you see that light bulb sign, you'll never miss it again. It's it's an interesting appearance, but basically that's on that AP view that, you know, most standard hospitals, ERs, or kind of any clinics are going to get. And what that represents is that humeral head is in that full internally rotated position, similar to my patient who couldn't remove, you know, his arm from his belly. He was fully internally rotated. And when the, you know, shoulder dislocates posteriorly, that's typically what happens. It'll force the humerus into internal rotation. So, the appearance of that humeral head uh, represents or kind of looks like a light bulb in appearance because of that full internal rotation. So that proximal humeral head has kind of a lytic appearance with that open light bulb. And then kind of down the shaft is, is the distal part of that light bulb. And that's similar to that vacant glenoid sign where that's that true AP view. And when you look at that true AP view, there'll be a loss of that normal overlap or half moon shape. Typically when you're looking at an AP view, the humerus are the proximal humerus, the humeral head, and the glenoid will overlap and kind of create this half moon shape. And when they're dislocated, especially posteriorly, you lose that normal half moon overlap. So you may hear it referred to as the half moon overlap or the vacant glenoid sign. Those are both kind of interchangeable in the radiology terminology. Yeah, good explanations. In my experience with this, I, I think most everybody that works in orthopedics with shoulder or urgent care has probably at some point seen an anterior shoulder dislocation. So you kind of know what that looks like. The posterior ones are different, but you know something's wrong. 
when you see the person, they're just, I mean, <laughs> you know, they can't, if you touch them, they're, you know, uh, it's just, yeah. you know, something's not right. Even if the x-rays are wrong, which brings me to another point, you know, if you're not sure about something, but you know, something is wrong and your x-rays are like, eh, but you know, something's wrong. Go with what you feel. If you know, something's wrong, get somebody else to look at it, show somebody an x-ray, follow up on it. And, you know, I commend you for following this in the ED because if you don't, how do you know what happened? And if the person hears three times, nothing's wrong, they go away, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Even if you don't know what it is, you know something's going on. So get some help. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think just as you said, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, anterior dislocations represent probably 95% of shoulder dislocations. Inferior is about 1%. And then 2 to 5% are these posterior dislocations. And just like you said, you know, these are documented as 50 to 79% of the time missed upon the initial presentation. And they can come in up to six weeks out uh, because they're missed for such a long period of time because all the findings are subtle. But I kind of teach all of the students I work with and everybody, all the PAs I try to mentor and work with that you have to trust your physical exam and you have to examine the patient. You know, that's kind of what I tried to talk to the the PA and the doc that had examined, you know, patient ED. The patient had no internal rotation. He couldn't move his arm away from his belly and independent of his x-ray showing nothing wrong. As you said, you have to trust that exam. A, a young, healthy 19-year-old gentleman three days after an injury shouldn't be so locked in position that he can't move his arm away from his belly. So something has to be going on there. And I really advocate mechanism of injury. So all my patients that come into the orthopedic clinic, I spend a lot of time going over the exact mechanism of injury because that tells me a lot about what could be going on and what potentially could be injured for them. And his mechanism of falling on that anterior shoulder with his, you know, classic findings, really just the light bulb, pun intended, goes off in my head saying, hey, this is what could be going on. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to touch on a special population with this, the folks that have epilepsy or something that causes a seizure, because I've seen that actually happen in our clinic once. A uh, kid was in rehabbing for, I think, a meniscus tear or an ankle sprain or something, and basically seized while he was on the new step. And they called me over there. I was able to pop it right back in. So I don't think it was the first time it happened. He probably had some posterior instability. And I think that's a, a precursor for some of this. And you had mentioned the football players, like the offensive linemen or whatever, they're getting that constant hammering on that posterior aspect of the glenoid and can cause some instability. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I know you said get an MRI and what the labral looks like, see if there's fracture or whatever, but the ones you've seen, did they have any prior history or was it just bad trauma? Yeah, I think it's a combination. That acute dislocation, as you said, it usually I think up to 75% of the time will come from trauma, but then 10 to 15% of the time will come from these uh, seizure patients because of the muscular imbalance. The external rotators will kind of pull stronger than the internal rotators and they'll, they'll force that shoulder posteriorly, especially with these violent seizures that can happen. And it can also happen from electrocution. So, you know, if somebody gets electrocuted, electrician or something like that, and they come in complaining of shoulder pain, similar to that kind of muscle imbalance, it'll cause that shoulder to be pulled posteriorly. So those are definitely two incidences where you want to think about this if somebody comes in with one of those histories. As you said, you can see some chronic instability for sure in these football players or people that do these, you know, pushing activities where their shoulder are commonly forced posteriorly. They usually will as you said, slip back in pretty easily or have more subluxations where they'll kind of be partially out or perching out. 
and will completely come out, but still have similar findings of these posterior labral tears. So I definitely think, again, you got to have that history and that mechanism um, to think about, and then your kind of mind can wrap around what these potential diagnoses could be, and if this is an acute or chronic problem or, you know, an instability problem or a dislocation problem. So listeners, stay tuned to next week when Chuck Dow comes back to talk about the reduction techniques and treatment long-term for posterior shoulder dislocations.